I'm David G. I'm Cooper. I'm Arpon. I'm Brady. You live for the good moments. And you learn from the bad. You're in the right place. This is the Live and Learn podcast. <clears throat> ah, so joined today, we have a very, very special guest. Very special guest. Brady Benson, the person who allows us to uh, use this room in this building. The owner and operator, CEO, and oh. founder of Aquamedics, Aquamedics LLC, Legionella Control Solutions. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Was that a satisfactory introduction? Th- thank you very much. He's many other things. <laughs> yes. Yes, we, we could go on and on, but, uh, you know, when would we end? Um, but uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I was grew up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. In the Twin Cities, primarily in southwest, southwest Minneapolis and Edina. Mm-hmm. Cake eater? Yeah. There's no <laughs> question about that. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin Stout. Um, lived in Chicago for a while. Oh, really? Yep. What are you doing there? I worked on the trading floors when there were trading floors. Wow, really? Yes. I did not know that. Yep, on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, mm-hmm. primarily. I did a little bit of work at the Board of Trade. Okay. It's, uh, I'm, like, interested in that because I've always known that you worked on the trading floors, but I don't know. Describe, like, the typical day or your typical day when you were on yeah, the Yeah, for real. Because I always just imagine, you know, I see you. We see Wolf of Wall Street or whatever, and it's just the craziness <laughs> on the trading floor. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, the trading floors I worked on were commodity trading floors. So we traded things like one of the things that you'd know most common because it's in the media or movies and TVs are pork bellies. Pork bellies are traded on our trading floor. What is a pork belly? It's basically what they make bacon out of. They would tra- trade hogs and cattle, etc. They oh, all. Um, not to interject and cut you off, but I thought it was really funny that you bring that up because I titled this. Uh, the title for this podcast was supposed to be Big Hoss. <laughs> well, thank <No>. you. <laughs> Are you implying cattle or hogs? <laughs> hogs. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> So also on that same trading floor, we traded currencies, okay. which would be at that time the Japanese yen, the mm-hmm. D-mark, which would be the Deutschmark, Swiss franc, the British pound, Canadian dollar, yeah, and as well as what's called the euro dollar, which is a U.S. dollar deposited overseas. And <clears throat> that contract is essentially an interest rate contract. So if you have a U.S. dollar deposited this in this instance in the U.K., and they're paying 5% interest versus the United States is paying 3% interest, yeah. that would be the reason why you'd have such a contract. Lumber and then the famous S&P 500 index, mm-hmm. which, is in, which is a futures index based on the S&P 500. Wow. That's very impressive. <laughs> I would not have expected that background. range as well. Mm-hmm. What did you make the most money on? 
of all the <laughs> really going for the, the big questions right away, huh? Well, I made some good money on the Canadian dollar, um, and uh, I actually have made money on soybeans, corn, which are which were and still are traded on the board of trade, which is a at that time was a separate uh, company, a few blocks from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Okay. Uh, so how how did the making money part of it work? Like, was it a commission based thing? Like, the more well, it sold. I, actually, I made money on these trades after I worked on the trading floor. When I worked on the trading floor, I was simply a clerk. I, essentially, what we did was manufacture trades. Mm -hmm. We put together trades, maybe. Oh, trade so then were you kind of like a middleman then? As far as like the sale goes? No, I was a clerk for all practical purposes. Uh-huh. The there's members of the exchange and they're the they're the ones who actually make the trades. Gotcha. And <clears throat> exchanges at that time were very much were structured like a co-op. So mm -hmm. all the members and there's certain tiers of members would own the exchange. Mm -hmm. And uh, how old were you when you were doing this? It was right after college. Right after college? Correct. Uh, so I would have been 22, 23. Mm -hmm. Right around our age. I, I'm not sure what your ages are, but based <laughs> on looking at you, I suspect you're, you're in that age range. Yeah. Between the ages of 22 and 23. Yeah. Exactly. You know, to, to give the audience a reference point, I was... Doing this um, in 19, oh, I would say 88, 89, 87. I actually worked on the trading floor and was a clerk during that 1987 crash, the, which was that Black Tuesday, right? Uh, well, Tuesday wasn't so bad. Monday was worse. Okay. <laughs> actually, the, the Monday after. Um, of the 87 crash, um, I did not go home. I slept in a hotel near the exchange with some other employees that worked on the exchange mm -hmm. because we'd spent a better part of that evening processing trades. Yeah. Was it just like easier to like get someplace that was closer to the, the floor than to like actually go home or what? Why, why did you choose? Well, that? I mean, it, we finished at two or three in the morning. Yeah. And I had to be at work the next day at 6.30. So the practicality of trying to get home, go to bed, and come back was a waste. Gotcha. Fair enough. And um, how long were you doing that for? <clears throat> I On the floor itself, it was only a few years, I think maybe two and a half, three years. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up moving from the training floor to um, one of the offices and worked Primarily, as a as a options analyst, mm -hmm. uh, so I would work with the options on different exchanges and then help someone yeah. similar to what you might consider a stockbroker, but was a commodities broker, mm -hmm. work and understand what they might want to do or help them out, yeah. and also make recommendations on kinds on different trades. Gotcha. Wow, so you were definitely like a big deal in your twenties, huh? 
I mean, it. You know, you may say that, but I, I didn't look at it that way. And it wasn't I mean, uh, intimidating at all to be, you know, up with the the big dogs per se. Yeah. Or well, you, you know, one thing about the trading floors, it it is the or an exchange. It's the epitome of capitalism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's pure. It's a pure market. And there's people like me making not too far over minimum wage, standing next to people at that time making several million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you consider being a big dog, usually that's measured by your income. Yeah. And my income certainly never reflect being <laughs> reflected being a big dog. <laughs> Remember, I told you my job. I was a clerk. Yeah. yeah. Well, damn, why why didn't you the chase the the big like stock exchange like you know trader lifestyle of uh, you know being a broker uh stealing millions of dollars from like uh I don't know insider trading, I don't know. <laughs> what are you into, Brady? Uh, you know, I you know the idea of spending time in a jail cell with someone <laughs> I don't know just doesn't turn me on. <laughs> Well, you know, white collar crime, that's not too bad. Not to spend too- and then you, you get to keep some of the money too, right? No, usually you have to give it all up. Uh, but uh, no, mm-hmm. didn't end up doing that. I did it. Yeah. I, I did work in Chicago for quite a while, uh, just shy of five years, and finished up working for a company called uh, Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, mm. which <clears throat> I then moved back to Minneapolis, St. Paul, yep. and worked for the same company, becoming a stockbroker for 12 more years. Mm-hmm. So what did your average day look like? Because you said your uh, job started at 6.30 a.m.? Well, it depended on which commodity you worked with. Yeah. I worked with all of them. But and, like to my knowledge, like in recent years, because everything's online, uh, like stock exchange opens at eight thirty a.m. Well, that would be the stock exchange. Currencies opened at seven thirty a.m. Okay. and then at one point it was moved from seven thirty to seven twenty because economic news would come out at seven thirty, and it's difficult to to trade and deal with the news coming out. So mm-hmm. we would have a a 10 minute window to get opening positions set up or placed. Mm-hmm. So I would, and getting to work at 6.30, I, I did part what was called out trades. Mm-hmm. And out trade is when you essentially match all the trades at the end of the day yep. and you look at it and you have 150,000 on one side and 153 on the other side. There's three out trades at that point. And you have to go figure out and try and match those Mm -hmm. and clean those up. So I would do that in the morning before trading opened. Then I would go to my desk and work or at the desk, take a look at what are called open orders, pending orders are also known as GTC orders and get those set up for the traders and put those put those out into the pits and uh so that's how i would start my day okay and go ahead um and then uh, like i'm guessing this was before you were using computers to keep track of all trades so like was it mostly like pen 
like writing yeah, really fast. They still had computers, like no, there were no computers. No? Well, I mean, I'm sure there were computers on the trading floor, but no. But I mean, not, I mean the TV, uh, you know, we had screens. So options trading, you need a lot of space. One of the things about a, a trading floor is you see the prices up around the walls and people can see these. But the options um, need significantly more space. And mm -hmm. so we didn't have flat TVs. We had or flat screens. They they all had tubes on them at the time. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it kind yeah. of dates us. Yeah. So a lot of writing, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, most... Record keeping. All, all orders were originally written down and then typed into a computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, a little question about the landscape. Uh, since uh, you you actually got a chance like to work on it, what do you what do you think of the market right now as it is as far as like just um, all the crazy stuff on uh, the S and P five hundred um, and just uh, how people are trading today? As what well do you as, mean by crazy stuff? I mean, it, it, well, just it like was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy in the seventeen hundreds yeah. by most people's terms. I mean, the idea of yeah. tulip futures. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people trading tulip bul bulbs is, you know, is crazy in a lot mm -hmm. of people's minds. Um, I, I just mean in the sense that um, how young people are kind of trading right now as far as like uh, one big issue that's like happening right now is like uh, pump and dumps. Um, a lot of like people will get together, you know, decide, hey, uh, we like this stock. We like this company. Let's all get together, throw a bunch of money in it. And then get the uh, hype going exactly like build the hype around it and then we sell out when you know we've made a, a sizable income well, off of it well <clears throat> or is that the same it's nothing new it's the same yeah. thing that's happened mm -hmm. in, in the markets i worked in that was not you know something that was particularly relevant mm -hmm. from a standpoint that you can't really create a lot of hype or fake news yeah on the S&P 500 yeah. or a specific currency, perhaps the hog market or the pork belly market, you could do that, but mm -hmm. it's gonna correct itself yeah. pretty mm -hmm. fast. What you're talking about is specific to certain stocks, mm -hmm. which are you know very narrow in focus and do not have what I would call a lot of open interest or a lot of volume. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of people trading those is fairly limited mm -hmm. and some people get sucked in and get excuse my description screwed yeah some people create the opportunity for themselves to take money from other people mm -hmm. it's nothing new and hasn't changed yeah once again i take uh, do you know about tulip bulb trading in Amsterdam? educate me so uh, one of the early futures markets or one of the early commodity markets were tulip bulbs. And they would trade tulip bulbs in the, uh, what we would call a bar or um, in the saloons and pubs within in Amsterdam. And so someone might create, you know, someone brings in a tulip bulb that theoretically has four defined colors when it blooms. 
and uh, they bring up hype about it, and they say, I've got a dozen of these, and they start to sell them, and mm-hmm. they tell their friends all about them. They all get excited, and the price runs up, and several people buy them, and are they really that kind of bulb? We don't know. Mm-hmm. The hype says they are, but yeah. we don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is this is back in, I can't tell you the years, but I want to say, like, Certainly before what we would call a modern day market. Yeah. Okay. I and I guess that really does make sense just because we've had like snake oil salesmen for like how long now? Um, thousands of years. Exactly. So like the it, there, there's track. always some type of scam. You know, you get a few gullible people together, you know, pique their interest, and then, you know, you sucker them. You run away before anyone notices. It's just like gambling. Mm-hmm. And there's professionals, and there's mm-hmm. there's the rest of us. Yep, 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 yep. That, you put that excellently. Yeah. One, uh, of the, uh-huh. one of the things I do want to point out is if you take a look at markets over time, the one market that is probably the oldest or the longest where you can look at pricing consistently is wheat. Wheat yep. has been traded in some way, shape, or form essentially since the Egyptians. Yeah. Uh, it's talked about in the Bible from a standpoint that you know Egypt was selling wheat during famines because they were prepared for it. So. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well. Wow. Well, thank you for uh, that uh, bit of history lesson. I'm um, sure I, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so, but um, let's uh, let's uh, do a bit more about you, Brady. What exactly is it that you do? <laughs> I get up in the morning just like the rest of you. He's waiting for the clock to hit five so he can grab a beer. Yeah. Well, maybe. No. We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> I, um, I work at a company called Aquamedics, and we market and distribute and also do some manufacturing. Our product is, is extremely narrowly focused. We make water filters that remove for the point of use, so that remove the bacteria in even in the tap water that might or could kill people kill particularly people with immune immunosuppression issues if i excuse my mm-hmm. butchering of that pronunciation yeah. and that's what we do uh, there's been more and more of awareness um, around the world and the united states is a little behind the rest of the, i get the rest of the world on a few yeah. things a few other things too <laughs> well, well you know we can go there in, in the recognition that water needs you know the water coming out of the tap may yeah. present risks to everyone to a certain extent mm-hmm. most most of us are are healthy and have the uh, immunity to have no concerns but there's a certain portion of the population that is at risk. Now, one of the things I, I, I want to bring up yeah. here is the bacteria around us is part of our lives. And the elimination of all the bacteria in your life is going to... You just die, don't you? Because, like, 
Like, look at your stomach. It's like literally full of like bacteria. Well, if you like, don't have the right, yeah, if you don't have the right flora or the right mm-hmm. bacteria in your stomach, you can't digest anything mm-hmm. or cannot digest the food you eat properly. So, you know, drinking the water and the, excuse me, because some people may not like this, the life that lives in the water, as well as the minerals and the other things in the water are extremely important to life and extremely important to everyone to be consuming these things in order to yeah. live a normal life. Yeah, why would that Sorry. be controversial to say? I feel like that's like, like common Some knowledge. people are germaphobes, you know. Don't sure, but like, much, like but. there's literally like bacteria, you, like literally kombucha. Kombucha is literally a bacteria drink that you uh, dr- consume to increase your health. Just a bubbly bacteria broth. Really. Exactly. Like it's literally sought after. Um, but like, sure, I guess like germaphobes do exist. But anyway, continue your point. I no, I, I've made the point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then I want to ask. Um, why are you in this industry as opposed to like something more flashy? Because like I gotta like like you said, this is a very like specific like industry. Um, it's not like necessarily like the first thing people would think about as far as like starting a business. So why? Well, as far as flashy, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Mm, but are you are you not mm-hmm. seeing the flash and the? Uh, water filtration market? Uh, you know, uh, it, it just it hasn't dawned on me yet. Mm. Well, first of all, uh-huh. you know, a general yeah. overview to the goal of being in business, yeah. you know, is to make a living or to make money. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need to be flashy to do that. Sure. So with that being said, I mean, I just thought I'd address where you were there. <laughs> no, sure. But like, I, I think it's an issue we see right now as far as like uh, um, a lot of kids that want to like start a business, they're like starting their own like online marketplaces for, I don't know, like just products that they make. Uh, for instance, I don't, maybe like pottery or something like that. Um, or just like something like artistic. I, I'm not sure. It could be like a bunch of stuff. Well, one of the problems with people starting businesses, they want to do something that's cool mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. or interesting. Exactly. And the viability of that, or is it a good business? You better answer that question before you spend time and energy to do something cool. Yeah. I'll just leave that yeah. where, where it's said. I mean, it, I'd mentioned, or we went, we'd spent quite a bit of time on my background in the trading floors and so on. And one yeah. of the things I became aware of a um, number of years ago, where I think is the value of water, the value of clean water. Mm-hmm. I grew up on, I grew up going to Lake Superior. My grant, we lived, <clears throat> my great grandfather lived on an island, as did my grandfather. Uh, during the summers, they were commercial fishermen. Lake Superior has some pretty pristine water relative to um, a lot of the water around the world. And when you see value in something, you see an opportunity. And so I would I was purchasing, or when I was in the investment industry, I was looking at companies that were were related to water on a regular basis. Yeah. And so I've, I've watched that. It's something I'm very interested in. And when I took a look at 
the industry I'm in right now, the major focus in the space I'm in is the control or the, I won't say elimination or the reduction of Legionella in the water. Legionella is the is bacterium, and there's a whole bunch of uh, subgroups within that, but I'm not going to go into that. <clears throat> but Legionella is a bacteria that that people contract Legionnaire's disease from. Mm -hmm. What is it's, that? It's kind of like a type of pneumonia, right? Right. I mean, it, you you inhale it. The w water is aerosolized when you take a shower in many other ways, maybe through a cooling system, and an individual then breathes that water in. Those little mini droplets, and those drop one of those droplets may have... Um, a Legionella bacteria in it, and then it settles in your lungs and then starts to grow and live. It's the same thing that's happened with COVID or a cold or the mm -hmm. flu. Mm -hmm. uh, now, unfortunately, for the people who have immune suppression issues or are older or former smokers or smokers, um, you know, one or two little Legionella bacteria can can create will will make them ill, and they'll present. Or what that means is they contract pneumonia. And for those of us who have spent time <clears throat> with older folks or with an aging population, you may know that pneumonia can be a major cause of death. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, you may have cancer, you may have all these other diseases, but what happens is you catch pneumonia because you It's have like water filling your lungs, right? Yeah, your body's fighting all these other things and trying to stay stable, right? And right. And so what, what had happened, and I can go into the long... <clears throat> the VA, a number of VA veterans hospitals were having patients who were getting sick and dying of pneumonia, and they eventually identified the pneumonia, the source of the pneumonia is Legionella, or yeah. Legi which creates Legionnaire's disease. And Legionella, the bacteria, lives, every, lives in the water, lives in the water where it's around us all the time. It lives in lakes, it lives in streams. It doesn't actually live so much in the water as the slime on that little rock. Mm. or the biofilm. And inside our plumbing systems, there's biofilm. Uh, life on this planet will grow anywhere it can. And what happens is sometimes that back Legionella bacteria gets into a plumbing system and there's the correct temperatures that allows it to grow and propagate and then spread throughout the system. And when this happens in a hospital with people where you have a very large population or, or a larger population than the general population of people with immune suppression issues or the other uh, <coughs> risks that may go along with contracting the uh, pneumonia, um, you know, they, I guess what I'm saying is they can be exposed to that because mm -hmm. it's in the system. Yeah. And right now, since 2014 and 15, there's been several pieces of uh, 
regulations or requirements from the VA that these kinds of things need to need to be looked at, you need to be aware of, and there's actually a system or a, what's called a water management plan mm -hmm. that specifically lays out how to eliminate or how to control bacteria in water, particularly Legion, Legionella or Legionnaire's disease. What's interesting is the same steps that are necessary to control Legionnaire's disease or Legionella will also control other waterborne bacteria that is in our water. Uh, the CDC takes a look. There's, I believe, 13 different um, 13 different pathogens in the water that they watch on a regular basis. And of those, uh, 12 of those are what are called are bacteria or cysts. Mm -hmm. And they can be controlled by our filters. But in a, while you're trying to control for Legionella or Legionnaires, Legionella in the <clears throat> systems, you can also be controlling for these other ones. So it's it's really what's interesting about this is it is controlling or putting an effort yeah. into eliminating other bacteria in the water that can create risks mm -hmm. for the populations we've talked about. Of course. But otherwise, Legion that was a hell like, of a long sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure, but it was informational. It had context to it. Um, but like Legionella is the the big hitter for it, though, right? That's the uh, well. Legionella is what's popular. Mm -hmm. From a, popular is probably the wrong word. Legionella is or Legionnaires. But Legionella, abundant? which creates Legionnaires disease, is the one that actually has specifically been laid out in what's called a water management plan yeah. to control. That's okay. what you'll see in the media most often. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So then a bit into your water filters, what exactly is uh, in them that actually prevents the uh, passage, of, passage of these bacterias? Well, our water, our, the water filters we use are, use a, um, device or what's called a hollow fire fiber membrane essentially it's a straw with a lot of little holes in it and as the water passes through the straw do we have the picture of yeah is that it yes that, that would be a hollow fiber membrane that is it, it yeah would you like to like show the camera and like explain <laughs> a little bit so what we have here is um I'm going to ask Will to describe the size of a micron. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Bacteria are pretty small, right? Like, so small you can't even see them. Well, these holes are so small that the bacteria can't even get through them. So that's how, that's how small a, a micron is. It's a micrometer. A meter is three feet. A micrometer is smaller than a millimeter, which is a tiny tick on a meat on a meter stick. So yeah, so essentially, it's you know, it, it it's kind of like when you're pouring 
spaghetti into your colander. It's like a real minute. It's a miniature colander. So our hollow fire membranes on the outside, it has a hole that's 0.1 or 2 microns. The bacteria itself is typically 0.2 or 0.25, 0.3 microns. And the holes, the final holes within the filter we're using is 0.15 or 0.2. So as Will described, the bacteria cannot pass through the filter. So, uh, yeah, that's basically that's it. That's the technology. That's the technology. I mean, unless you want, I, I'm kind of hesitant. There's nothing about, like, the mineral content that, like. Uh, well, let, the... let's think about, I'm going to put this down here. Um, <laughs> so the mineral content. Mineral content is typically minerals in the water are dissolved. Yeah. And the bacteria does not dissolve. Bacteria uh, is, you know, it flows through, and there's uh, what's called total dissolved solids, and then there's suspended solids. Yeah. Bacteria is a suspended solid. It never dissolves. So to answer your question, as a sus suspended solids are what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Now, suspended solids are also expressed in something called turbidity, which turbidity describes the amount of suspended solids within the water. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, I could go into more detail if you'd like me to, but no, it gets, you know, <laughs> basically we yeah. take out really, we take really small stuff out of the water. Yeah. One of the problems, however, is when you have a filter that filters out a lot of stuff or a lot of small stuff, the big stuff, and if there's a lot of small stuff in there, we're not just taking out, I'm echoing a little, we're not just taking out the um, bacteria, we're taking out everything of that size. <laughs> and, you know, quite often it can be pieces or parts of things that have been broken up or died. Oh, you mean like uh, microplastics, for instance? My, we would remove microplastics. Uh, microplastics uh, are their size. They, you know, they're. I don't know what their size range is. Maybe yep. one of you might know. Mm, maybe but you should market. Uh, we we have those. looked at doing that, and I think that's something that we may focus on a little bit, or because it's a really expect. big deal right now. Oh, people. That's, that is a big thing. People Sales are always department. Like, come on. People are always complaining <laughs> about the microplastics. Yeah. And it's in your it's in your beer too. You know, if you looked at your beer under the microscope, you'd find some microplastics. Well, That's at this I mean. point, from my understanding, there's you know really no place on Earth except for in a glacier, an old glacier where there isn't microplastics in the water. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> Only fresh water we got left. Like yeah. you said, the yeah, value of clean water. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Cooper over here earning his paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so then let's uh, let's touch a uh, base about why you decided to go from the the not not necessarily nine to five route, but um, you know working for someone to working for yourself. 
Well, I worked with several people. I had some family members involved mm-hmm. uh, where we saw an opportunity in this business. Yeah. And we, you know, we were discussing it. And it came down to, quite frankly, I was introduced to a uh, company in Belgium, a company called Prime Water. What were you doing in Belgium? I wasn't in Belgium. <laughs> I was introduced to them. You know, you know, there are these new inventions called telephones and internet, those kind of things. Sure. Uh, well, but I got the connection then if you weren't there. Just like through a friend or family or what? No, 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 no. A uh, gentleman who had worked for this company as a consultant yeah. improving their manufacturing processes. And they were interested in marketing in the United States their products. And they had several products they wanted us to market or had you know, we're talking to us about marketing. Mm-hmm. And essentially what happened was uh, we looked at them and we talked a little bit about businesses and the viability of making money. And it became apparent that what they were talking about selling were what I would call me too products. You can, you know, you can take a look at the filter ice machine filters there's Mm -hmm. 15 or 20 different companies manufacturing and selling Uh, but what what brought it all to essentially a head that got us interested Mm -hmm. was they had some they had a product called the legionella safe shower and in taking this is 2000 probably 12 we are looking at the landscape um, Europe and in, in Europe and Asia, there were a number of rules, regul I shouldn't say rules, regulations, and even legislation to control Legionella in the that occurs in the water system. But the United States was pretty much in infancy as far as regulation to control this. Yeah. So what you know, we're looking at this, and we're like, well. If the government at some point is going to tell people to take care of this and we have one of the solutions, people are going to be forced to take care of this. Mm-hmm. Being one of those solutions could be particularly profitable. So you're trying to get ahead of it? Yes. So, I mean, you know, th- th- that's where it came in. And now we work with t- uh, two different companies that make the products, and we also we also manufacture a uh, filter that also that will that does the same thing or mm-hmm. is a solution to the problem here in the United States. Here, actually, in Minnesota. No, that's I I definitely get it though. Um, now that I think about it a little bit more. You know, uh, we do need water to survive. And uh, more than water, we need clean water to survive. Because uh, you can have as much um, dirty water as you want, but you probably die. Well, you know, dirty water is something that people, that is defined in different ways by different people. Sure. I think the key would be safe water. Safe water, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, well, I'll change my verbiage, uh, safe water. Um, well, I mean, I, um, you know, we talked a few sec- minutes ago about yeah. um, microplastics. Mm-hmm. There's, and on the planet Earth, there really isn't any water that's in liquid form that 
would be that probably doesn't have microplastics. Some concentration. So, you know, is that clean water? Probably, you know, in some people's mind, no. Some mm -hmm. safe water. Yeah, agreed. No, because like it's it's become like a really big global issue because we're we're seeing even like higher and higher percentages in the the fish that we uh, catch and consume. Um, a lot of people are starting to like move away from fish for that reason, despite it's like you know health benefits, uh, water obviously, and then it just it goes into everything, um, even like the, the produce that we produce. But uh, you know we could go on and on about that. Yeah, I mean. It I have a general understanding of it, but it sounds like you have a better, you know more about it than I do. Uh, something like that. Um, it's like, it's it's a big deal that we will be uh, concerned about when, like, people are getting diseases from it. Yeah, I think, you know, you definitely have a topic for your next podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay, what what should we get into next? But okay, you, you you still haven't touched too much on like why you why you wanted to go into the transition of like ownership. Why like why was oh, it important? Well, to be, like, I mean, we were looking ownership? at this. I worked was working with several people, and they just we had an opportunity. We had a company in Europe that had a product that you know essentially did what we needed to what it might need to do here in the United States and uh, we'd raise some money and we're we're moving forward we uh, one of the gentlemen who was supposed to be running the company seemed to spend more time arguing with the rest of us on how he could get more ownership yeah and so at, at that point I had put in some money and I'm like well no one's doing anything we're all, let's just get something done. And I, that's when I stepped forward and started working with a company. Yeah. And what, and the, really what happened was when we started expecting some of the other people who were involved to do the, do the work that's required, they weren't particularly interested in it. Mm -hmm. And so I stuck with it and moved forward from there. Yeah. Okay, so they just like weren't willing to like put in the work, research, and time that it took to like actually make it successful. Why? Why do you think? Why they weren't? Yeah, why do you think? They just wanted to throw money at it and expected to get some returns. I, I I will say they didn't necessarily even throw money at it. It it they expected someone else to make money for them. Yeah. And uh, business isn't easy. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that, that's the thing with ownership. You have to you have to create the value yourself. Nobody's gonna do it for you, um, and like that's like the benefit of working with a team, unless they're not on the same page about that value. Because uh, I feel like it's definitely easier to make like value a bunch of value with multiple people working to increase that value. Well, and a lot of people have egos. They don't feel yeah. it. They may feel something is beneath them. Yeah. Or something, you know, that, that I don't do yeah. that or I, I Yeah, you know, oh, I I'm aware. I'm aware. Like, but I just, I despise people like that. Like, come on. Like, good luck getting anything done. On I'm, your I'm for, you know, I'm a relatively conservative person. Mm -hmm. um, fiscally politically and uh, there's definitely a very large portion of the population that expect to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. I, I definitely hear where you're coming from that, and I definitely agree in most cases. I don't um, think we should go any further on that subject. <laughs> Um, but getting back to bro, the ownership, up, oh, you are peeking out so heavy. Uh, uh, going back to the ownership of the company, you said there was uh, a couple different partners before, um, like when you first started. Uh, in recent years, have you acquired like majority or even a hundred percent ownership of the company, or do you still have partners? I have a majority of the company, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is this sensitive information? I wouldn't say it's sensitive. Uh -huh. I would say that um, it's a kind of question that I answered very straightforwardly, mm -hmm. and it's really none of your business. After <laughs> sure. No, understood. Understood. Of course. Uh, you know, it's not like a, we can expect to like you know demand these like answers from you. You know, well, I we mean, can ask you, you know, that's the thing about answer, I will. that's about being a private company mm -hmm. or private equity, yeah. as we see. Sure, I definitely get that. Okay, um, so will you tell us a bit about how you've managed to maintain your consistency and grow over time as a company? Because um, I don't know what the statistic is, but something about uh, how like uh, independent companies like fail within like the first like three years, or something like, like that. seven or eight out of ten. Yeah, small like businesses that. or companies will persistence. <laughs> Persistence and a lot of help from people. Yeah. A lot of help from people who don't expect <laughs> to be paid because they want to help. Yeah. Um, yeah those are the keys. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a very large group of business owners out there that understand how difficult and frustrating it is to build a business. Mm -hmm. And quite often, most of them will are, are very helpful in regards to giving advice and helping you go the right direction. Yeah. Um, and that's really one of the keys to being successful. Uh, another key is, I mean, to listen to them, to you're doing something wrong. There's a, what you're doing is not gonna, okay, I think this is how it should be done. And they say something else. You should definitely need to listen. Mm -hmm. That and once again, persistence. Yeah, no, I I a hundred percent agree with that. Just because, um, you, I feel like you don't get anywhere without that persistence. Persistence, you know. We we get our failures here and there, and I feel like a lot of people will, you know, take those like few hits on the chin and be like, ah, you know, this is kind of hard. I don't know. I don't know if I can like sustain this abuse over time, and you know, you'll jump ship after that. But it's, I feel like it's like these these failures, these losses, like these like learning opportunities are kind of like what craft you as well as the type of business you if, have over time. I will tell you, if you don't mm -hmm. put an effort in and you aren't willing to take a risk yeah. and fail, the business will fail. Mm -hmm. um, failure is inevitable. Everyone will fail. Mm -hmm. uh, when I hire people, you know, you want to put them in a position to be successful. Yeah. And one of the things I always tell people when I hire them is, you're going to fail. If you don't fail at some things, that means you're not trying. Mm -hmm. It's the third and fourth time that gets very frustrating. 
uh, the key is learning from your mistakes mm -hmm. and being willing to, willing to change. And that's very difficult for a large portion of the population. Uh, admitting you're wrong is not fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't like to think about it. Yeah, and very ego-driven. Yeah, I mean, you have to be driven, but you know, you you can't dwell on it, and you can't take it personally. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee, everyone who listens to this podcast is going to fail at something someday. Of course. And if you're not, you're not trying, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, no I, I I hear that hundred percent because, um, you. You have to like take losses to even be like playing the game to begin with. If like you're going through it and there's like no struggles, there's like nothing you're like really even, um, you're I not mean, struggling to move forward. Yeah, I mean, uh -huh. we're philosophizing. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, what it comes down to yeah. is when I coach soccer, uh -huh. I would coach little kids. Yeah. And I would coach them to kick the ball until it goes in the net. Do nothing else. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't care about. And as they would age, they'd come out and they'd be frustrated. And, and, and they'd say something about doing something wrong. And I go, well, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Don't worry about it. Just keep going out there. Keep kicking. I think that's, go ahead. Keep kicking until you get it in the net. Yeah. Just keep swimming. That's like that's really great advice, and I think it's, I don't think we hear that is, enough. The key is it's so simple. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like you have like you know what's like the kindergarten saying? Um, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Well, and you know, children are naive; they don't know they're failing <laughs> uh, a good portion of the time. That that's what makes them really driven too. They, they don't or care. irritating if you're a parent. <laughs> <laughs> They're 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 driven in their causes. <laughs> uh, sure, well, like I, I feel like um, even in like our like generation right now, like there's like maybe this like imaginary pressure to be like perfect right away, and if you're not perfect at it, then you know like give up and go try something else. Well, yeah, because that's like that's what you see on TV, that's what you see on social media. You're mm -hmm. conditioned to see these like young often beautiful and successful people mm -hmm. who, who apparently have made their their success so simply and easily. And on TV, after seven takes, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, it takes way more than that. <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, yeah. it, it's really simple. I mean, these are simple things we're talking about. Yeah. Yes, and that's the thing. Despite how simple it is, I just don't think it is it is wide enough knowledge um, that you have to maintain these like the consistency in these things. Um, because to uh, to your sentiment about uh, starting your company and like with these people that are kind of like doing stuff for free, um, like uh, my company right now, as far as like my production company goes, uh, we basically didn't make any money within like probably the first like year and a half. Like we were still getting like jobs occasionally, but you know, most of that is like towards like, uh, not necessarily paying ourselves, but like getting like equipment or just um, putting it away to invest in something later. Um, it isn't really until recently where we have been able to like actually make like a decent chunk of money as far as like 
introductory stages go. But um, imagine if uh, within like the first year we were like, you know, damn, none of us are making any money. Uh, we barely get any jobs. Let's just like jump ship and give up here. You know, I well, worry. I mean, uh -huh. that all comes to planning mm -hmm. and looking. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is the most? Mm -hmm. what, we talked about markets earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about people pumping up a stock, mm -hmm. but one of the most frustrating things with the American system, and as far as the stock market goes, is the short-term point of view. Uh, small businesses, because they're not responsible, if w when there's one or two owners mm -hmm. to other people who have expectations of quarterly profits, profits every day, uh, they can look long-term. Uh, and that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. If you start a business and you expect to make money the first year, I mean, you're kidding yourself. Mm -hmm. You're setting yourself up for yeah. failure. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going to fail. We already talked about that. But you don't want to set yourself up for it. Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, like, uh, to that fact, like, I, I didn't expect to be making, like, money right away just because, you know, no one knows who we are. We're still, like, uh, building our web of connections, so on and so forth. It's just... Um, uh, the point of like bringing that up was just like you, you can't give up and, and um, roadmaps, like, you know, planning stuff out accordingly, you know. But we, one of the things you got to uh -huh. remember, your roadmap's wrong. Uh -huh. Why do you say that? Because it is. Because there's going to be a fork in the road. There's sure, sure, sure. Construction. There's going to be a bridge out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, wanna, I wanna hear why Brady, I'm, I'm aware, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. I don't have to say anything else mm -hmm. because it'll be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, we can we can plan all we want, you know, say we're going to do this, then, this, that. Uh, but, you know, none of us know what the future looks like. There's going to be, like, changes and unexpected things that, you know, you're not aware of. And, and why is it important to do that? Because when you're wrong, if you're smart enough to stop at some point mm -hmm. rather than pursuing the wrong path, mm -hmm. you back up and go forward again. Yeah. And hopefully you've learned that you're not next time that path opens up and you mm -hmm. take a couple steps there, you stop mm -hmm. and you don't, you know, you're going, okay, this didn't work yeah. before. Why would I expect it to work? Exactly. Now? Been there, done that. Right. No, I definitely, I, I got you. Um, no, that's, that's really great advice. I don't know if it's vice. I mean, it's basically the way well, it is. Okay, but no, no, you, you say that. You say that, but it is not common knowledge. You may assume it to be common knowledge, but it is not. Because um, just like, we'll even like do it to something even like simpler compared to like a business. Learning an instrument, you know, per se. Uh, I feel like a lot of people will like, uh, let's say like guitar, pick up a guitar and, you know, try to like be like, oh, I, you know, one of my uh, favorite musicians is like a really good guitarist. I'm going to like pick this up and try to do it. You know, they like fiddle around, try to like play their like favorite song from that artist and realize, oh, wow, this is really hard. I don't think I can do it. And then, you know, they throw it away and, you know, they, they give up, you know, and now that guitar lives in their closet for like the next like two, three years. And that's. 
before they finally common. sell it. Yes, that's oh, very very. They common. come back thirty five years later mm-hmm. and sitting there, and, and and their mom says, "Get the day, get that out of here." <laughs> exactly. That's that's so common, you know. Like, and I, that's that's so terrible to me because I feel like if you if you respect this like person musician or whatever it is enough to like you know go out and uh, get an instrument or get whatever object it is and learn it you know you should like, I'm just gonna stop you uh-huh. right there go ahead most people at some point in their life can figure out what they're good at and what mm-hmm. they're bad at mm-hmm. but you'll never know until you try yeah, but like right, but when but you, once try, you try, yeah. once you try, you start to figure out, and it's not necessarily whether I'm good. I could be yeah. really, really good at tennis, uh-huh. and I just, you know, someone, you know, some professional mm-hmm. or a kid who's played tennis since they were like five, they just don't like it anymore. Yeah, I mean, getting to your point, mm-hmm. if you're not. If you're not enthusiastic at it, or mm-hmm. or it's hard, so yeah. hard that you it's not natural to you, don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I I don't know if I like that approach because sure there's there are definitely things that will not feel like natural. They'll be like hard in the beginning, but um, and you know honestly, you may not. You what may did not I ever say become, about persistent? Huh? I said persistence is the key. Yeah. And at some point when you're persistent, mm-hmm. you're like, hey, hey, dumb S-H-I-T, mm-hmm. put your head out of your A-S-S <laughs> and stop wasting your time. Go yes. another direction. Sure, sure. I but can, you, you have to give it time and try before you do it. Yeah, that, but like, that is my only... I, I think... I think Cut what, your losses, man. Yeah. Wow. I okay. mean, you asked about, you uh-huh. asked about trading. Uh-huh. You asked about being on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's not about making money mm-hmm. when it comes down to it. It's about knowing when to cut your losses so you can make money tomorrow. Yeah. I got you. Harpon, did you have something to say? Yeah, like I, I, I really like that actually. Like, just, fuck it. If mm-hmm. it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Sure. Just move on to the next no, thing. No, of course, because like you don't want to keep bleeding. Yeah. Um, and like, I think that. I goes, mean, that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, with government, you know, we have all these projects and some don't work. The big government doesn't cancel or stop those programs. <laughs> they just keep staying there and then they come up with another one. Mm-hmm. So now you have just you have a pile of shit with <laughs> with like six yeah. you know, a pile of five thousand pieces of shit and <laughs> and one thousand or no. 400 pieces at work yeah. and the rest of the stuff we just don't know what to do with mm-hmm. and we can't get rid of because it's politically unpalatable it's too much of a headache if you do <laughs> shove it under the rug and yeah it's, it's it, easier to shove it down the rug for the next legislature exactly and then they're gonna do the same thing it's better to ignore it than to actually deal with it because then that's work and nobody likes No, it's not work. How is it's it not admitting work? I'm wrong. It, oh, it's okay. arguably less work. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I mean, okay. yes, it's work. It's work that I got to go, okay, I'm 
just throw stop true you know one of the things i've learned because i go down a project i work my ass off and i don't like it it's not working out it's painful it's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and i keep doing it and i keep and then at some point just stop Mm -hmm. don't go there again it's a bad idea (laughs) yeah i mean this could relate to drawing a picture or going fishing i was gonna say my example is I could be as persistent as I want trying to become an opera singer, but I'm never going to have the voice for it. And I'm always going to be shut down. And rejected, so. There, there. No matter how bad I want to be that opera singer, it's not going to happen. Okay. So, do you know who Randolph Hearst was? I do not. Look up, have you, what? Well, tell us, tell us who he is. Well, um, have you ever watched Citizen Kane? No, but I hear that's I know a, of it, a very influential, clips. very influential film. It was like one of like the first like blockbuster movies, wasn't it? I wouldn't say it was the first. I mean, there were blockbuster movies that were silent, so we'll <laughs> just, we won't go there. <laughs> um, William Randolph Hearst owns, owned, he basically started the war in Cuba that Teddy Roosevelt ran up the hill over. He was the a- Bay of uh, Pigs? No. No, no that, like, that's Jack Kennedy. No. <laughs> Damn it. Good try. My history's terrible. Mishka um, <laughs> would be ashamed. Yeah. Continue. I feel like Stephen would be more He, he was a media magnet when the media was, uh, Newspapers. Newspapers. Mm. And uh, he ended up living in California and having building a huge mansion, mm-hmm. which in a movie called Citizen Kane was called Xanadu. Oh, the location? No. The <laughs> castle, the mansion. Oh. oh. Yeah, the location. The, the location of the castle. Xanadu. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a whole, you know, I don't know how many people are listening, and there's a whole group going, yeah, no kidding. And then there's a whole group going, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> the people who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just, you know, let them enlighten uh, themselves. Sure, it's food for thought, right? Or thought, yeah, food for thought, that's what it is. That's the saying. Thought for food. Thought for food. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So since we've been talking a bit about uh, failures, uh, Brady, why don't you tell us about your struggles and failures and what those look like for you? Well, we can go there. I'm just taking a look at the clock. Uh, you you got to be somewhere? No, but I'd like to, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And you I'm can't, uh, oh, you want to wrap up yeah. a bit? Okay, can't okay, drink then. too many beers. <laughs> <laughs> so then we, we'll, we'll wrap it up then. We'll, no, 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 no. I, I mean, I've got some time. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, like, I'll, I'll just like skip right to our last segment. No, um, okay. I mean, I don't want to leave. You're rather, you rather, uh, I guess. Answer, answer that question quickly. What has been, I guess, what was your your biggest success that made you want to continue, and then what has been some of the harder failures? 
like your first big success that you knew <clears throat> this was going to be the path that you'd continue to follow? Because we were talking about how you'd be persistent. This until, path? Yes, this, the, the business path that you're on. I think when I talked to people in the industry and they were excited about what I was doing. Okay. When I was an ignorant newcomer to the industry. So it was like kind of important to like get a validation from like people that yeah. were uh, somewhat uh, solidified. Absolutely. Okay, I got that. And then what about uh, the struggles? What's the biggest struggle? They're not to be the biggest, but like maybe just something you learned from. Um, don't be, you know, there's nice guys finish last is a saying out there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and there's a certain amount of, um, there's a certain amount of that is true. Mm -hmm. Be careful you trust. And who you have or don't be terribly nice yeah, <laughs> yeah don't, you don't want to like give up too much of yourself um, is that correct no there's I'll just go with what I said at the beginning which is fill it in <laughs> reiterate nice guys need to remember that they may finish not that they could finish last okay fair enough fair enough uh, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna move on to our segment uh, called Money Moves, and it is uh, kind of our <laughs> it's kind of our like uh, current events segment as far as just like uh, economics or like technology, whatever is kind of just like happening in the world at the current time. And uh, what I wanted to talk about today was um, how the world is probably going to be moving away from oil dependence in the future, as well as uh, the increased use of uh, nuclear energy and electric cars. And why are you asking me this question? <laughs> <laughs> Just what do you think? It's more of an open discussion. Yes, here, yes, it's know? like open discussion. Like, so like, ask the question again, please. So, um, as uh, as the uh, the current world situation stands, we've kind of already been like moving in the direction of like using nuclear more, but a lot of people are scared to do so. Uh, this like current situation we're in, as far as like the oil like crisis goes, you know, people are realizing, oh damn, you know, we shouldn't be like as dependent on crude oil as we currently are. Uh, you know, we need to like start working on like more renewable energies, looking at nuclear, as well as, you know, fixing uh, our major issue, which is like using like cars, which are running gasoline, petrol, um, and kind of just like the increased use of like electric cars, because uh, a lot of like bigger companies are starting to like move towards like the electric uh, uh, direction. For instance, like the the F one fifty electric that's going to be coming out in like I don't know when, but like the lightning, huh? The lightning. Yes. Yeah, which is like you know the F one fifty is literally the, the highest sold car. Yeah, in the truck. U.S. Yeah, a truck in the U.S. So big move if like Ford is doing. So that. What, what's your question? Just like what, what do you think? Like, uh, do do you think that's true? Like, yeah, think, I'm, like, I'm 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 gonna phrase this a bit better. Um, so let's put it this way, like um, you come from a time where there there was like a impending fear of nuclear and there was a nuclear war. Yeah, nuclear war as well as nuclear disasters, because 
There were nuclear disasters. Yeah. Um, and there, there tends to be this uh, resistance because of everything that has historically happened and people have seen of the time. Um, and with, like, how do you think the future, like, with us and, like, the newer generation being We're, a bit yeah. more open to the ideology of, like, hey, maybe nuclear is the best way to go. What are your thoughts on that? Like, having I, lived I'm through... Not, I'm absolutely unqualified to answer that <laughs> Well, you don't have an idea or a thought, like a thought about it? I mean, nuclear... I mean, quite frankly, the dream is nuclear fusion. Mm-hmm. It's always forty years away. That's what my my physics professor told me. You know, I mean, at at some point, when you think about what it is, it's what the sun does. Mm-hmm. Do we really think we can do that on here? I I, I I suspect that not in my lifetime. Very recently, within the last two weeks, they ran a nuclear fusion reactor for. Th- five seconds and that's the best we've done that's wonderful five seconds yeah um we're getting closer Mm -hmm. 40 to 50 years closer yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. i mean what 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 it comes right down to and well, like, is, is this the right move? Is like, you know, should we continue to be scared because, you know, uh, we might like blow up like half a state or I shouldn't say half a state, a half a town because I mean, of like you know, uh, nuclear energy. Uh-huh. I mean, a nuclear plant isn't going to blow anyone up. It's mm-hmm. just going to poison all of us, mm-hmm. which is a pain. Which I would say is like worse even. Well, yeah, because blowing up, you're just dead. It's over. You know, see, it's the aftermath, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to what I told you earlier about mm-hmm. spending time on an island that my grandfather and my great-grandfather lived on. Yeah. The there's In order to live a lifestyle there that is like cabin camping. You need petroleum. You have to have a gas engine. None of this stuff will work because you can't plug in. I mean, the best solution is wind where you're going to charge your batteries. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, the biggest I mean, one of the things you, I, you seem to be getting at, it's a worldwide problem. It's a, it's a problem for the world. The biggest problem is we have limited resources for a population that just keeps growing. And yep. what, what's the solution? Well, I don't know. Collapse. Collapse. Well, I mean, <laughs> total collapse. Anarchy. No, no, collapse. no, that's not a solution. <laughs> collapse is the result. Yep. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it's yeah. some it's some crazy science fiction movie that we've already seen. Star Trek is rea- Star Trek. Every gadget on Star Trek seems to be reality today. We're, I mean, that's the thing about it, though, is science fiction 
becomes it's reality. Inspires us to yeah. turn that into reality. Yeah. You know, the only thing that isn't hasn't happened is warp drive. Mm-hmm. We're working on it. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Not not within like eight generations. Well, I mean, it, from a physics standpoint, it's mm-hmm. impossible. Yeah. From what we know, hey. Yeah, but that physics, may change. From, from a physics standpoint, in 500 years ago, it was impossible. Yeah. Not not even 500 years ago, 100 years ago, from a physics standpoint, it was impossible to go to the moon. So who's to say? What's, yeah, but what's sure. I mean, you're asking. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. people need to do the. We need to do the best. The the thing that's. Yeah. We're all. The thing that drives people and why I own a business that seems to be why you invite me here today. <laughs> yes. Is <laughs> we're all selfish. And it it's that's a problem when it comes to answering your question because we need someone wants nuclear power mm-hmm. because they want to charge up their car mm-hmm. and their computer and why are the these phone. why are the battery powered and nuclear powered uh, options occurring it's because the market is shifting that way not because it's better for the planet and all that stuff it's because the market is shifting that way. Well, yeah, because we have to like think about efficiency, you know. Because um, fossil fuels, we're not going to have them forever. Uh, you know, we we're already like having issues with like fracking all the time. We have to look into better and just like easier energy sources. Otherwise, we run into very very scary problems. Yeah. I think that's that's. Uh Two sides of the same coin, right? No, um, I mean, let's just stop here. Yeah. Uh-huh. The world, nature is a circle. Yeah. It takes carbon out of the air and eventually took so much carbon out of the air that the earth cooled down, mm-hmm. right? And now we're spitting that back out. Human beings do not lend are, do not lend the world the opportunity to continue that circle. Mm-hmm. While we're, you know, I mean, and unfortunately, is that to say that we need to be eliminated for the earth to exist? Or do we need to go back to a lifestyle where the circle will work, which we have limited, we, we limit our use Mm -hmm. of carbon to go back into the atmosphere? I don't know. But, you know, you go back to everything. There's usually a couple really simple principles, and when you try and make it more complicated, you're wrong, or it doesn't work. It, it's. I didn't answer your question. I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> well, that no, no I, one didn't know. I, I think you definitely. Well, you. It, even if we like did already know it, it's important to like have it set out because I think you you do make an excellent point. Um, especially with like overcomplicating things, I think like we 
we as people like try to overcomplicate things, uh, assuming that it's gonna like. Get I mean, us every to, day you drive your uh, car, yeah. you go to the car to yeah. go to the grocery store. You're killing the planet mm-hmm. based on the actions we're having. True. There's there's no question. Mm-hmm. Okay, then let me let me pivot a little bit. Uh, do you think? And let's have this be the last question because sh- sure, yeah. sure. Um, do you think? we could really like get people to agree to like say hey you know we're taking all your cars away we're taking all your oil away you can't have babies anymore Uh uh-huh you know we're going back to the you know the mesozoic era uh you're fending for your own now (laughs) that's like dinosaurs okay (laughs) you're talking like uh uh-huh 1984. Sure, yeah. I, I I don't I don't know years. I don't know what happened. No, there's a book. Oh, movie in a book. Book movie. Okay. <laughs> I was not. I'm not familiar. Yeah. You should really read it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. go watch Citizen Kane and then. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, I will. I'll take the time to check it out. Um, do you think it works out or do you think we're like honestly too selfish to like turn back at this point just because we have too many amenities and things that make life easy? Why are you asking me? Mm-hmm. Uh, David, I'll, I'll answer this one. Yeah, go ahead. If you, why would we, why would anybody take steps back when you have, when you have all these luxuries, when you have all these, you know, you have heating, yeah. warm water, you can travel as far as you want in this country. When you have all these things, nobody is going to let go of mm-hmm. of all, no one's gonna let go of these things. Yeah. It's like, if you've stepped up economically or, or if, if you start making more money, why would you accept a job that's paying you less money? Mm-hmm. It's the same concept as for our society. Why would no one's going? Society mm-hmm. as a whole is never going to accept sure. a downgrade in technology. Yeah, why would you? Ex- why would you live with less when you well, know wait, you can wait, have wait, more? Wait, 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 wait! I'm just going to stop you guys because this whole COVID thing has created a portion of the population that's willing to take less to be happy. And we need to realize that, I, you know, when it comes right down to it, it might be less, but you're so comfortable. You still have yeah. those comforts. I mean, take a look at Maslow's hi- hierarchy of needs. How far do we have to climb up that? If you have to, you know, what is the space between fed, dry, warm, and self-actualization. How do you say actualization? Actualization, thank you. You know, what's the space? Do we really need to fill that whole space? Do we need to go through all that stuff? Do you, you know, obviously we were able to, in Russia, they were Mm -hmm. able to create communism without, you know, they went from one of the most backward societies yeah. to what was perceived as a communist society, which wasn't in the eyes of Marx. I wouldn't say in the eyes of Marx, in the theories of Marx. 
If you're Marx, it's probably the same thing. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're asking for for solutions. No, I'm not asking for solutions. I'm just asking for opinions. Because, like, I, I know the answer. You what know? is the answer? Um, the answer is no, because, like, we're no. very... Well, Huh? What's the answer? What are we saying no to? I can't even remember. <laughs> um, the, whether or not people can give up their amenities, and I just like it's it's not gonna happen because can, it's just we're we're comfortable. Can a yeehaw who has his Ford F one fifty turbocharged gas guzzler go from that to the electric electric? Or not? No, I mean you get the electric Ford F one fifty. Okay, okay. Can they, can he really switch to that? I don't know. It's. I think. I think at the or end she. of the day, it's all about like uh, need and what the general population wants, right? Mm -hmm. Or if there is a enforcing body that's like just saying, "Hey, this is what's going to uh, be happening from now on, and you're going to live with it." Like China with the one child that policy. That doesn't work. I mean, when it comes right down to it, I'm going to go back to where we started. The market will say no. No. I mean, if I want to drive from LA to Las Vegas, I cannot drive an electric car. Not yet. And I don't think it's going to go there. You can, but you got to stop and charge on the way. <laughs> yeah. If I want to drive, if I want to take my boat from shore to an island 18 miles out electric doesn't work especially if i want to get back <laughs> yeah um electric isn't a solution not yet what what mm -hmm. what was the best what was the biggest thing petroleum did for the world Light and heat. Different from anything else. Any source, any other Versatility? Source, any other, yes. Versatility. Any other source of power, you need it. Well, electricity is the same thing, but we'll get there in a second. But any other source of power required someone to lift it up, move it, and put it into some kind of incinerator. Petroleum allowed us to pour energy into our tank and burn it. Until we have something that's that simple again, we don't have a solution. Now, maybe it's liquid LP, liquid natural gas. Perhaps it's hydrogen liquid hydrogen but yeah I mean what were the most efficient what what happened from World War one to World War two we had ships that ran on oil versus coal what does electricity do electricity flows energy it flows from one point to another I don't know if this is where we leave the point or 
Whatever. Is that not more efficient than gasoline than at that point? If it's What's more efficient than gasoline? Uh, electricity. Well, then you Just can go like, into the whole rabbit hole of how are you making that electricity? Because at the end of the day, you need to burn something sure. or, you know. No, if it's coming from the sun or wind. Mm-hmm. But then what's the problem? You can't store electricity beyond what the capacity of your battery is. Mm-hmm. Then again, you get into the same argument of, oh, you need to mine the cobalt. How are you going to mine it? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, (laughs) it it all comes down to is we have too many people chasing too few resources. Mm -hmm. And it's going to end in nuclear war. I mean, look, if we want to like end the the podcast on a spicy note, um, I mean, it's not like the U.S. isn't already like fighting secret wars on like oil, anyways. Go on. <laughs> was, Let's do it for two hey, minutes. Two if minutes. it was, if it was, uh, it wouldn't be a secret war if uh, we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, if we're going on conspiracy theories. No, ooh. This ain't a conspiracy theory, dog. Well, you got some? Oh, here, here, yeah, yeah. Here's what? something to think about. Uh-huh. Yeah, leave us with some food for thought. Oil goes up. Oil companies make money. It's not fair. Really, it's not fair. That's what they do for a living. Oil companies provide us oil. Prices go up, they make more money. Mm-hmm. That's the market. So that's is the market. You, that's is this you not complaining about the rising gas prices? I mean, I feel like we can all bitch and moan, but like you know, it is simply the market. You know, it's, yeah. And at some point, I mean, if we don't have to worry about pollution and all that stuff. We're going to find more oil. And then when we run out, we'll find out another solution. I don't know what it is, but... It's human nature to find solutions to our own problems. Sometimes we create our own problems. All the time. find solutions. Okay, all right. Last, last thing, and then we'll, like, check out of here. Uh, Brady, would you you like to give... um, a few words to our viewers and um, plug your business or anything that you have going on. Thank you for listening. We would, you know, if if there's a way we can help you and you need filters that would remove the bacteria in the water that could kill you, we will help you. If you have Legionella or other waterborne pathogen concerns, please contact Aquamedics LLC. There you go. Yeah. And I know, I mean, it's in your water. It's just a matter of whether you need to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other things in, in your water that can be perceived as healthy or concerning that really your body needs just to exist. Mm-hmm. Sweet. All right. Awesome. Um... Thank you very much, everybody, for checking us out. Thank you, Brady, for coming on, chatting with us. Uh, This has been um, a long-awaited one. Hope you guys had fun. And, uh, yeah, that's everything from us. See you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week.